What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Monday Night Football teams being who they are. Tuesday Night Football, do we know who these teams are in such a weird situation? And a first look at Week 6 in the NFL. Are there any numbers to target early in the week of this disjointed NFL season? Then it's a look back at a rough night on the diamond as a key error always seems to blow up the handicap in baseball and why the Dodgers are in big, big trouble. Then it's a post-NBA Finals edition of Tuesdays with Ted. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And it's the Tuesday show, which means we're going to go up and down the board for NFL Week 6 coming up here shortly. Though... We haven't quite finished week five, of course, right? So, of course, we've got to talk about Monday night game. We have the Tuesday night game. Yeah, there's a Tuesday night game. Uh, Monday night. Talked about it yesterday, how I would lean Saints at minus six and a half, if you can grab that number. Good news is that number never really materialized in a meaningful way. So at seven, it was kind of a pass, which isn't all that fun for Monday night football, but in this case, kind of fun because it avoided... Uh, a loss. And so, you know, with a small lean type of thing at minus six and a half, you know, wouldn't have been necessarily a disaster for, you know, a small bet. That being said, right, we got to talk about both teams in the context of that game. And the Chargers are exactly who they are every single week, right? And, you know, it's funny because I talked about this on the on blast podcast network with sheldon alexander his i'll name this football pod later um and we you know i said to him a few weeks ago listen just bet the chargers every chargers game as you know whether they're the underdog or you know their favor just bet the underdog in every single game that they play and i wish i'd really just taken that you know that advice problem is right that, that number was at eight and a half nine at some point this past week. And so when it falls down to seven, you know, based on essentially just the Michael Thomas news, I can't then take that bad number. Now it would have been a winner from basically Jump Street there, but you know, that is what that is. So Chargers team, again, you know, 20 to three, really should have been 21 to three, right? And you sort of forget that the game goes to overtime obviously in part because the kicker missed a 50-yard field goal, which is sort of, you know, listen, it's a dome. There's no crowd noise. That's as easy of a kick as that 50-yarder is ever going to be, so you got to make that kick. He missed the extra point earlier in the game. Otherwise, we would have been in some sort of situation where the Saints at some point would have had to go for two. Now, would they have gotten it? Would they have not? Who knows, right? But again, it's always something with the Chargers, right? And you can kind of, it's almost a multiple choice question, right? Is it going to be Anthony Lynn, bad game management decision? Is it going to be soul-crushing turnover that's completely unnecessary? Is it going to be field goal kicker just completely blows it? And sometimes it's even a lot worse than, you know, joinking a 50-yarder and missing an extra point. There In years past, it's been like misses three of them and, you know, kicks the ball out of bounds on an, on a kickoff like all that kind of stuff so you just know that going in that this team again no matter how many injuries they have right like half the offensive line is out Keenan Allen ends up going out after a first quarter touchdown 
and it just doesn't really matter. Like, their talent is good enough. Their sort of off-game coaching is actually pretty good, right? Because they've all, they're obviously, you know, prepared to play. Their schemes are good. Even their offensive play calling is actually pretty good. Like, they waste a few plays here and there on just kind of, you know, basic level runs where it's sort of like, you know, you were working it a lot better when you kind of were getting a little friskier from a play calling standpoint. But they just kind of burn some on just generic off tackles that get stopped for like a one-yard loss or a one-yard gain. Uh, obviously, Justin Herbert, right, makes all the throws. The guy's got a cannon. And it's when you're sort of talking about Drew Brees, he doesn't have it anymore, all of that kind of stuff. You go, yeah, you know, we've been talking about that since, you know, basically last year. Like, yeah, Drew Brees lost it a couple of years ago, and just nobody seemed to notice. Maybe it was because he only really played half of a season last year with Teddy Bridgewater being in for, like, what, four or five games. And it's like it really becomes stark when you watch a game like that where you've got the young, big kid coming in, and he's just hocking the ball all over the yard. And then Drew Brees is, like, his longest throw is, like, 25 yards, and he has to kind of, like, run into it type of a thing. So, again, nothing new there, right? When Michael Thomas comes back, is that going to necessarily change anything from their offense? Like, maybe a little bit, but obviously the concern is still the defense. And I don't know how many times or for how long in this season we're going to sort of keep hoping that this defense, which is, you know, pretty loaded. Like, you look at that secondary, the names on that secondary, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Janoris Jenkins is out, but they still have, like, you know, their fifth guy is Patrick Robinson, who's a veteran DB. Now, the problem is all of these guys are veterans, so they all might be, or at least a portion of them, might be kind of toast from that standpoint. So, you know, they make enough plays to get, you know, to get back in the game. And, of course, then they win in the most predictable fashion possible with, you know, the Chargers losing the coin toss and the Saints going down and scoring, actually surprising in that they only got the field goal. Um, but then the sort of you know drive just peters out for the Chargers after getting to, what, the 40-45-yard uh, line pretty easily. Uh, a lot of us out there were hoping at least for a tie <laughs> due to survivor uh, rules and regulations, uh, as ties count as losses in that case. Uh, so we didn't even get that which again, disappointing. Uh, and from a Saints standpoint, right? Like it's, it's Saints bingo. Like all these teams, and sort of the big takeaway really for this entire game is that all these teams are just who they are. Like they just keep doing the same things over and over again. And in some cases, you know, it, it, it works out. And then other cases it doesn't, but it's really just, you know, the Chargers are going to do what they're going to do. Like they're going to screw just enough stuff up that a 20 to three lead isn't safe and that a 20 to 3 lead isn't a 21 to 3 lead by the way so you know they're going to do all of this stuff they're going to be tantalizing with sort of the talent and you know the quarterback's ability and a you know pretty good defense uh from a schematic standpoint and then the saints are going to do the things that they do right like sean payton and drew Brees and Taysom hill are going to do what they do you're going to see Taysom hill frustratingly in five to eight times a game and like one of those plays is going to work out and is that necessarily a net positive you know i don't know <laughs> that it is in this case last you know last night he didn't fumble the ball so there wasn't a 
disaster portion of the program for the Taysom Hill package. It was just sort of like, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. Okay, that one worked. Like, and so like, that's just going to keep happening. Like, no matter how many people on Twitter are like, get this Taysom Hill thing out of my life. It doesn't, you know, he's, John Payne's not going to read that and be like, oh, you know what? I think they're right. That's not going to happen. So it's like you're wasting your breath in a lot of ways, right? So, you know, the offense is going to be what the offense is, right? Check down to Kamara. Hopefully he breaks a billion tackles and takes it to the house. Otherwise, we're going to kind of dink it and dunk it down the way here. And maybe we get Jared Cook or Emmanuel Sanders open for a quote-unquote bomb of 25 yards, right? So, you know, like... Problem is, like, how, you know, how do you sort of handicap that, right? And you go, okay, well, like, does that mean this team's going to cover or that team's going to cover? It just sort of speaks to the fact that it's all just musical chairs. Like, it's going to, all these teams are going to play the way they play. And then at the end of the game, it's just going to land on a number. And if you're any functional, you know, if you're functional whatsoever, you're going to want to, you know, be getting points, right? Like, if you're, if you're seeing two teams like this where you're like, not really sold on the Saints, certainly not really sold on the Chargers okay, we're getting how many points? Sold, right? And again, so that was sort of a mistake just to not take the plus seven and sort of hope to get the minus six and a half because of all the injuries for the Chargers. So, you know, going forward, like what does that mean in general, right? It's just sort of an attitude of like, let's take, get as many points as possible here. If you are going for a favorite, there better be a really, really good reason. That's just, I think, the sort of theme for 2020 so far. So that brings us to the Tuesday night game. And yesterday I talked about kind of sort of in line with this theme that I was leaning kind of liking Tennessee plus three and a half. And the line as at this point hasn't really moved. You have to pay a little bit more juice for the Tennessee minus three or plus three and a half, I should say. And, you know, then you kind of go up and down the sort of, you know, COVID who's out, who's not, right? And defensively, it's Jeffrey Simmons, who's obviously, a, you know, a pretty big game changer when it comes to the Titans defense that frankly isn't very good. Their pass defense has been particularly bad, but they still have, you know, names back there. Kevin Byard, Kenny Beccaro, you know, Malcolm Butler, Jonathan Joseph, who's probably maybe at the end of it for, for himself, right? Um, Adoree Jackson on the IR, so he's, you know, he's out, and that's obviously a blow to them as well. And they cycle in Vic B on passing downs to rush the passer from an offensive standpoint right like are we going to overrate that Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys aren't going to play so you know it kind of depends right like is AJ Brown going to play so if AJ Brown plays and now Khalif Raymond is the second wide receiver instead of like the only guy anybody's even remotely heard of that's obviously one thing. Do they still have Derrick Henry? Yes, they do, right? Kind of an important thing in all of that. Um, Johnu Smith, um, Taylor Lewan right now, questionable, right? So you've got the two questionables, right? AJ Brown and Taylor Lewan. And this is kind of the difference between whether I like the plus three and a half or whether I'm just completely neutral. There's another element to this. Talked about, you know, my the podcast I do with Sheldon Alexander over on his feed. And he you know, he brings up some good points from time to time, my guy. And he's like, you know, you know, we talk about the sucker bet of the week over there, right? When we go, okay, who's, what's the game that like a lot of people are going to be on this week? And like, maybe you shouldn't necessarily bet the other way, but you should probably stay away from it. And I told him, you know, we did the show on Friday and I said, to be honest with you, that game probably happened on Thursday with Tampa Bay kind of suckering in a lot of people at, you know, minus three, minus three and a half. 
He then said, you know what the sucker bet of the week might be? It might be betting on this Tuesday game in general. Because what do we know, right? Like, what do we? What can we possibly expect, right? In theory, this should be a prime letdown spot for the Bills after a couple of big wins. And looking ahead on a relatively now short week to Kansas City next week. And so this game is sort of feels like it could be an afterthought for them, whereas for Tennessee, as shorthanded as they are, it does also kind of feel like one of those situations where, oh, we've been dealing with some off-field stuff. In this case, it's sort of quasi-off-field, quasi-on-field. And just like, I just want the game to start and then like come out of the cage, so to speak, uh, just roaring like a lion. And so that's kind of how like I feel the game would be go from like an attitude standpoint but again you know we've been on the bills pretty much every game and talking about how they're underrated and you know has that sort of passed already because you know up three and a half points as a road team here against a playoff team a team that people sort of think is a contending type of team it's hard to really say like the bills are now still underrated like what's the number supposed to be if they're underrated like the number is never going to be five six you know seven anything like that like this is kind of the peak of what this number could ever possibly be until we get like a year and a half's worth of bills being really really good right like what's you know name any other team right like ravens chiefs like what are they going to be on the road at Tennessee like they would maybe be six and a half seven but you're not going to make them like over seven points you know as good as those two teams are because of sort of you know Tennessee is no slouch either so this does feel like the top of the market for Buffalo and obviously it took a pandemic and a sort of breakout of this disease uh in the team for that to be the case and so you go okay we're probably done riding the bills at a value, right? Now we're just riding the bills because we think they're really good. And we're paying that extra basically point or so to sort of take the bills here against a team that's ravaged by COVID. But when you look at it, you go, okay, like, you know, obviously a lot of people talking about like 30, you know, Titans. And it's like, well, that includes staff and all of that kind of thing. It's like, okay, so how many players really? Well, it's really like, you know, 12. And then it's like, okay, well, how many of those guys are starters? And it's like, well, three. And you're like, oh, Okay, so like how big of a deal is this actually? So um, that's the thing. All of these things, you know, the point is we don't know, right? So this might be a situation where it's just purely a live bet type of a game. Like we, you know, maybe we know after a quarter, like what we're dealing with, with regards to the Titans. And maybe they get down, but it's not, you know, they're not down 7 nothing or 7-3, to three because they're you know ravaged by <laughs> covid maybe they're just down seven to three because they're down seven to three and there's sort of an opportunity to get in live with the titans at a better number with three four full quarters to play maybe there's a situation where the titans do come out and they actually look really good and they take a lead and maybe we have to give up something in you know from a value standpoint to sort of take the titans on the money line because that would be a you know scenario where it's like okay if all things were equal in this game you know i think the bills are maybe favored by one maybe favored by two right if this was sort of regular week regular sunday all of that kind of thing this is very much closer to pick them 
And it's like if we are informed by that first quarter that that's kind of the situation here, then it might be just worth going like, yeah, it sucks that we did, we missed out on the plus three and a half. But, you know, given the inf you know new information that the Titans are sort of full bore here, um, you know, that might be worth a look just even at sort of a minus 110 money line type of a thing. Uh, as for the rest of the week, you know, we got to dig into the board here. And obviously no Thursday night game with the Tuesday. So, you know what? <laughs> I won't be complaining about that tonight, but I reserve the right to complain about that two nights from now uh, when we don't have anything from an NFL standpoint to watch on Thursday. Might actually be able to get some access to some college football on a Thursday, which, you know, could be worse. Uh, let's get into it. Sundays, Atlanta at Minnesota here. Line minus three and a half right now for Minnesota. And on the surface, having watched Sunday night and sort of the dominant performance that Minnesota gave even in a loss, you go, that seems really short against a team that just fired their coach. Of course, and you've got that sort of flip side argument like the dead coach bounce, right? And so we saw that with the Texans sort of, right? And again, that result lended itself to us believing that there is such a thing as sort of a better performance after your coach gets fired. And I watched that game, talked about it yesterday, you know, cover to cover, and I just don't think that the Texans really, you know, were inspired in any way. I just think that, you know, maybe they were. They're just still not very good. But they still managed to beat a Jags team that was, you know, pretty beat up. This is obviously a different situation, right? Like, it's not a home game against the Jags. It's a road game against a decent team here for the Falcons in the Vikings. And so... I think at three and a half, I'd probably lean to that, but I would like that a lot more, strangely enough, if the Vikings had converted that fourth down against the Seahawks. They would have the win. They, you know, be riding high. It would be a classic letdown spot here and sort of perfectly aligned, you know, for our purposes. As such, it's not as much of a letdown. It might just be, you know, like a late night, you know, Sunday game, you know, long travel, uh, you know, from Seattle all the way, you know, back down to Atlanta, excuse me, back down to, you know, Minnesota, over to Minnesota. And then this Atlanta team, maybe they're healthier, right? Like Julio Jones potentially comes back. Uh, Dalvin Cook probably out this week, right? So you've got a couple of sort of moving up, moving down type of things with regards to injuries, which makes Atlanta at least more palatable in that situation. So right now that's my lean. It's sort of terrifying. We do, you know, we always kind of talk about how Atlanta, you know, kind of very much like the Chargers, where it's like, you know, with Dan Quinn, you did not want to be laying points whatsoever, but they actually had a pretty decent record as an underdog. So this is still that case, right? And so if Dan Quinn was the problem and the talent isn't necessarily the problem, I'd like to think that they can kind of hang in here. And if you sort of talk from a market standpoint, one, we always see the Falcons getting money. Like, we've seen that all season long. So is this number going to go down to three come Sunday? You know, maybe if we've if anything that we've seen so far has kind of indicated that way, you also have to be, you know, kind of ready for either Julio Jones to be, you know, announced as in or Dalvin Cook to be announced as out. Like, even if we kind of already know that stuff as of Tuesday, it's the type of thing that once that gets announced, there is going to be a move you know, for whatever reason, like that's the reaction that people have. So um, 
you know, I hate to sort of say it, but like maybe right now grabbing Atlanta plus the three and a half is kind of the best move here before all of this stuff kind of shakes down because I think it's more likely that Dalvin Cook doesn't play than Julio Jones doesn't play, right? So I think there's a very good chance that we do sort of get those sort of two ships passing where Jones plays, Cook doesn't, the line goes down to say a flat three, and now all of a sudden like you're at risk of pushing a field goal game here in uh, in one that I think is still, you know, could be a letdown for the Vikings. Baltimore, Philadelphia. This thing's up to eight, and I kind of don't really blame it, right? You saw seven was the open, then it goes to seven and a half, and you go, yeah, the market is all over Baltimore here to beat up on this Eagles team that is just kind of, you know, the last two weeks, you know, they could have won last week against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, so we'd be sitting here going like, oh, they've won two games here, you know, smoke and mirrors type of the thing. And, you know, we wouldn't be wrong. Of course, they didn't end up winning the game. So it's still just sort of a smoke and mirrors type thing. Um, to me, this is a stay away at this point. Uh, you could sort of make the case for Baltimore in a teaser leg. Um, it's just, you know, I don't want to lay the eight points here for, you know, scrappy as hell Philly team. Um, maybe we've got a Thursday night game coming up against the Giants after this week. And, you know, Listen, this NFC East is such a bleep show that I could see them, strangely enough, kind of packing it in relatively early against this Ravens team because that Giants game, again, as crazy as it sounds, because their records are so bad, like you can kind of you can kind of give away a loss to a Ravens team that, you know, you're probably not going to beat anyway. And focus on your division games because this division at this point might come down to sort of who has the best record in and amongst that division because it doesn't really seem like any of these teams can beat anybody outside of that division. And so, you know, you're looking at six divisional games and if any of these teams can go four and two or five and one, that puts them quite a bit of a leg up on the rest of the competition. And we were talking about Philly having already lost to Washington you know, in obviously a game in the division that you're kind of hoping you can get if you're Philly or, you know, in separate case, Dallas, almost losing to the Giants. Like, that's very similar. And it's like, okay, if those two teams can just win four or five games in the division, how many do they need the rest of the way? Like, we might actually be looking at a 6-10 and 10 division winner in the NFC East. Like, that's where it's trending here. And so if you're Philly and you get down and, you know, it's a 10-point game or even a 14-point game, you know, how aggressively are you sort of trying to come back and get in the back door late when you're probably just, you know, lining up Carson Wentz to get absolutely drilled by the Ravens defense over and over and over, knowing that a far more important game is coming just a few days later. I don't know, you know, again, smart coaching, I would think that that's kind of the attitude they might have. You just never know at this point, right? So uh, stay away from me right now, but I think you'd have to lean to Baltimore in sort of any um, you know, in any way, whether it's point spread, uh, teaser, anything like that. Uh, Chicago and Carolina here. This is funny. I like, I, you know, I bet the Carolina game last week. I left it off of contests because again, I thought Carolina was going to be popular. They were popular. And, you know, so sort of, I was right about that, but looking at the ticket count for this game, like I just don't see given the 
you know, sentiment for both teams, Carolina being like people going like, oh, that actually might be pretty good. And, you know, people hating Chicago's four and one record as though like they, you know, robbed an, you know, an, an elderly uh, facility to, to get it. And it's like Chicago's at 52% right now from a ticket standpoint. And that is kind of surprising because I'm like, why wouldn't you want Carolina here? Um, at under a field goal. And yeah, we got there with the Bears last week against the Bucks, and maybe sort of that performance is sort of talking people into some stuff here. And again, you never know from Nick Foles, literally not just from week to week, not even really just from half to half or from quarter to quarter. So, you know, and again, you rather both of these teams as underdogs, and in this case, Chicago is the underdog, but only at two and a half. So for me, it just doesn't make sense because I would be like, Carolina, Carolina, Carolina here. Um, I'll have to sort of dig into this, you know, further as we go. You know, maybe there's a sentiment that the Bears facing a lesser defense than they have over the last couple of weeks might be something that they can succeed with, right? Like not having to deal with the Colts, not having to deal with the Bucks. And sure, they're going on the road, but it's against a team that they can and should move the ball against. And if we're getting into this point where you're getting points and you're asking Carolina instead of just kind of hang in there, hang in there, it's now we're going to need you to win and win by more than just, you know, more than just one. That's obviously a different look from Carolina's standpoint. So, you know, from a market standpoint, maybe Chicago is the side. And that's kind of something that we have to evaluate over the course of the rest of the week. Cincinnati and Indy here, this number sort of creeping down at, you know, from nine down to about seven and a half right now. And my initial lean was Bengals. I literally sort of thought to myself yesterday, you know what, this is a game where a lot of people who were afraid of the Colts in, for example, Survivor a couple of weeks ago, right? Like when they played the Jets, we talked about how it was like, you know what, only 50% of the people were taking the Colts to beat the Jets in Survivor. And it was like, when is the other time you would use the Colts? And theoretically, the other time would be this week against the Bengals. So for me, I was sort of saying yesterday, like this is going to be the game where all of those people who didn't play the Colts last week or two weeks ago are playing the Colts this week and they're going to get knocked out because the Bengals, who look like hot garbage last week against the Ravens, are going to you know get it back to where they were from a couple of weeks before that where they were frisky and they're going to go on the road in the dome and they're going to steal a win here. So like that sort of narrative thing concept is sort of where I was standing with it. Problem is when you look at it and you go, okay, when the Bengals have played decent teams in Cleveland and of course very good in Baltimore, it hasn't gone very well from a yards per play type of a standpoint. Now they still ended up covering a number, you know, when the Bengals, you know, were underdogs to like what, six, six and a half points to the Browns. So again, they could still get sort of statistically beat up here and still cover that kind of a number. So, you know, it's kind of dicey from that standpoint. Are we going to get Darius Leonard back for the Colts? You know, that kind of situation. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, ask calling for Philip Rivers' head at this point. Um, will the Bengals be able to kind of take advantage of that? I was, you know, again, pretty impressed with how the Bengals' defense kind of rallied, uh, you know, to slow down the Ravens after getting down, kind of shell-shocked to a 17-0 uh, deficit last week. So I will be probably on the Bengals here. I'm, I don't love it as much, sort of given that 
you know, if the Colts had say one last week, I'd like it a lot more because A, we'd be getting more points. We might even be getting up to 10 points, which is kind of what I was hoping for, you know, and B, we'd also be getting a Colts team that was still riding high right now. This is no longer sort of a buy, you know, this, or a sell high situation on the Colts. It's certainly a buy low on the Bengals, but it's not a, you know, sell high on the Colts because again, they're coming off of a loss getting back home and should play a pretty good game here against the Bengals. You know, maybe that translates into a 24-17 game here and the Bengals end up covering. Or maybe I was right in the first place and the Bengals give them all they can handle and come up with some sort of late game uh, heroics. Uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. This number sort of trickling down. Uh, I grabbed it at plus four. Um, not like the most in love with with that bet at this point, but listen, in week six in the NFL, you know, if you're in love with a bet, it's kind of, you know, you're probably going to be in big trouble here because nobody's as bad as they've looked and nobody's as good as they've looked. And in this case, I'm still not entirely sold with Pittsburgh. And I don't know if this is, you know, the same kind of feeling that I've had about the Colts or the same kind of feeling that I've had about Tampa Bay or just the idea that, you know, I don't necessarily think the Steelers are ready for you know being in consideration with some of the top teams in the league and now listen the top team in the league in Kansas City Chiefs just got you know worked over pretty good by the Raiders at home so I mean who knows you know what's going on um obviously have liked the Browns a lot over the last few weeks um basically been you know sort of pretty consistent on kind of fading the public perception after week one right and it's funny because how you know very few people watch that game Browns and Ravens in week one and all we've seen from them since is like pretty strong performances. And, you know, now they're sort of maybe getting the credit for this, right? And so when you sort of talk about like, well, how high could this point spread possibly be? How how low could this point spread possibly be? So it's like, is, are the Steelers, were they ever going to be two and a half point favorites? Like, were they ever going to be considered the same uh, in the marketplace and then sort of, you know, adjusted for any kind of a home field type of thing. And it's like, no, this is the, kind of the lowest this number is ever really going to be, given especially the public perception just from a franchise standpoint. The lowest this number was ever going to be was three. So it's not like we're getting a deal necessarily on the Browns. It's really just a matter of, do you believe that they can keep it close in the same way that really all of the other teams that have played the Steelers have kept it close? Like, we're still talking about, a you know, an Eagles team here that was a 50, you know, four yard field goal or you know say go forward on fourth and five and convert and then get a field goal with a lot less clock being taken up you know like it wasn't that far-fetched that the Eagles win that game last week as a team that was down what's 14 17 points and by the way you know the Chargers lose you know after being up by 17 you know a lot of these other teams coming awfully close whether it's Buffalo being up 28 to 3 a few weeks ago against the Rams and obviously the Falcons you know blowing games and all that kind of stuff in this NFL where 54 points is kind of like the average at this point a 17 point lead especially early isn't all that much it just isn't anymore. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is the first team to blow two of these in like, you know, blah, blah, blah years or ever or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, we're playing a different game here. We're, we're, we're veering towards arena league football. 
we are veering towards the three-point shooting NBA where teams who get down 20 points come back relatively regularly, right? Like, that's just the mindset you have to understand. This isn't, you know, a, a league anymore that, you know, are playing games that are, tw- you know, remember the old days, right? It was a 21-14, 20, like 27-24 was like a high-scoring game in the NFL, and now that's average. So, um bit of a divergence there, admittedly. Uh, So, you know, for Pittsburgh here, it's like, this is a team that could have very well lost to the Texans at home, uh, got scared to death by a Denver Broncos team who we've seen really nothing interesting from them ever since. Certainly, you know, not the the very next week when they got pounded by the Buccaneers. So it's like, what are we, you know, what am I supposed to be impressed with from a Steelers team at this point? Now, again, it's still the Browns, and we talked about it yesterday. Like, can they handle, you know, prosperity or sort of mental lapses like getting a, you know, a touchdown, giving up a touchdown on a kickoff return? Is that, you know, the type of thing that's going to kind of pop up here? And you've got the Steelers team who was sort of, you know, the involuntary buy, but they used it. Like they used it to go back into the, into the lab, so to speak, and, you know, unleash Chase Claypool on everybody. So that was clearly something that they cooked up in the time off that they had. So it's like they can complain about having an early bye week, but it probably saved the day for them. Well, the secret's now out that Chase Claypool's good. And we don't even know sort of whether Deontay Johnson comes back and sort of, you know, takes over, you know, more in that spot. Seems hard to kind of imagine that they would just kind of, you know, put Chase Claypool sort of back on the bench for a lot of these formations and stuff. But again, they have a lot of really good wide receivers now on that team. So, like, you know, the sneak attack kind of helped them win this game. Uh, And the previous couple of games looked awfully sketchy against pretty mediocre to bad uh, opponents in Houston and Denver. So, uh, you know, to be three and a half point favorites against a team that we still think is pretty decent in Cleveland. And again, if they could stay out of their own way here, I think this game ends up being sort of just as close um as the philadelphia one right like if philadelphia can hang in and let's be honest other than that last touchdown pass you know at the very end like that felt like a game that they probably should have been able to cover in if not almost win outright uh denver and new england no line for this one just yet obviously we don't know what the status is with regards to uh well literally either quarterback right you can look on the board right now and it says like undecided for both qbs and you don't see that very often but that's the situation that we've got here i fully expect cam newton to be back i kind of fully expect you know stefan gilmore and everybody to kind of be healthy here especially for denver as they're now you know thursday night game so they you know around and then oh wait our next game's canceled too okay or postponed and it's like okay so they've had you know a billion weeks off and i'd like to think that drew Locke is probably back is that necessarily all that great of news? I mean, I guess maybe, but like, I don't know if there's that much different at this point between Brett Rippon and Drew Locke, which is kind of interesting because they were sort of, you know, obviously both in college at the same time. And one guy high drafted, like, you know, first round pick type of a thing. And then Brett Rippon basically sort of, you know, <laughs> an afterthought across the board. And you could make the case that Brett Rippon actually had the better college career. Actually, that case is, you know, pretty sealed. That's, um, definitely the situation um no line there but again i sort of 
expect this to be kind of eight and a half, nine, like maybe it gets to 10 if like all the Patriots are healthy. Um, and we'll sort of, you know, address that when we get to it. Uh, Detroit and Jacksonville, Detroit minus three and a half road favorites. And I think we talked a little bit, especially about the Jags yesterday. Where it's you go, okay, so what do we trust with Detroit that they should be road favorites against anyone at this point, right? This is a team that, again, all they do, speaking of the new NFL, is blow double-digit leads. And so I'm looking at Jacksonville in this one, and if we can get the three guys defensively back for Jacksonville, I still think Jacksonville is a team that can move the ball. I definitely think they can move the ball against Detroit. And I think once they get those three guys back defensively, as disappointed as I am in the in the Lions this year, I can't imagine. You know, I guess I can imagine it. I don't. I'm just don't have that fear of the Detroit Lions at this point. And if they were, you know, three and a half point underdogs, that's a role that I much prefer the Lions in against almost anybody in the league because you know you're going to get that sort of last ditch effort out of them. And you know you're going to get two things. You know you're going to, they're going to be up by ten and. Two, you know that you're going to get a last-ditch effort out of them. It's the entire middle part of the game that we have no sort of respect for when it comes to the Lions. And so the Jags are moving the ball well on offense. Defense got jammed up a little bit because of the injuries, I think, last week. And again, a sort of quote-unquote desperate Texans team. Not sure how much I buy that. A lot of that felt really, really lucky as people who took you know, the Texans in Survivor. We're feeling very lucky for that. you got to have some luck sometimes, as evidenced by some of these picks in Survivor that are surviving like Saints, like Cowboys, like, you know, Seahawks over this past weekend. Um, Houston and Tennessee, obviously no line in this one because we're, you know, we don't, we're not even really sure there should be a line for the game tonight against Buffalo. So why would there be a line against Houston? That being said, if the Titans, you know, it sucks because it'll be a short week, but Titans are definitely the look here because I think Houston uh, overvalued based on the fact that like they won, uh, will evaluate that, of course, you know, based on the number, right? If the number's three, three and a half, then yeah, that's definitely an overvaluation of the Texans. If the number's close to six and a half, seven, um, you know, obviously then that's not the case from a market standpoint. Uh, Washington and the New York Giants. The New York Giants are favored by three points. Let's just think about that for a second. The New York Giants are favored by three points. Now, I realize it's to the Washington football team, but the Washington football team's won a game this year. And, you know, again, we always talk about that game being kind of lucky, kind of sort of a, you know, one half of pretty good slash fortunate football and the rest of it's been pretty grim, and who's going to start, right? Is Kyle Allen going to be okay? Like, is, are we getting an Alex Smith? Is a full week of practice for Alex Smith going to result in some better on-field um, numbers for him? You know, all of that is obviously up in the air. That being said, the Giants are three-point favorites. Like, they can't be three-point favorites against anyone, right? These teams have to be rated equal, and given the fact that there's literally no home field advantage for the Giants, this game needs to be pick em. So we're getting three points of value up to a key number of three. So we are obligated to bet on the Washington football team. Now, this game might literally be scoreless the entire way and a ball might hit multiple people in the face end up in the hands of a giant and they may run it into the end zone in overtime and cover this game right or it could go you know a lot of more sort of normal ways but the point is is when we're talking about the you know the musical chairs element of this league 
you can't tell me that getting three points here isn't the best strategy to play this game. And when you sort of factor in that, yeah, Washington's also plus, you know, 140 on the money line, there's, of course, value there as well. So I don't think it's all that complicated to just take Washington and kind of go from there. Now, I don't know that you want to necessarily use it in sort of contests or anything like that. We'll sort of see what the other options are throughout the week. It might just be a better betting game because of the value that we're getting from a dollar standpoint, especially on the money line, than anything else. Uh, the Jets and the Dolphins here, and this is sort of fun because it was supposed to be Jets and Chargers, and we were going to have the Jets going to the Chargers on a short week for the Chargers after, you know, obviously overtime. And so the schedule, like for once in the Chargers' lives, something has bounced the right way for them, at least off the field or sort of from a scheduling standpoint. So they get the bye week at a time where they're going to really need a bye week based on, one, obviously the injuries that they had going into that Saints game that they had coming out of that Saints game, um, and then just sort of the emotional repair. And they can kind of lick their wounds, get their act together. And I'd like to think, you know, with a stretch here for the Chargers where they have three or four games that are incredibly winnable, a lot of NFC East type of opponents the Jags are even involved the Jets are involved like they should be able to rip off a few wins it's probably too late for them from sort of a season-long standpoint as far as getting into the playoffs since they're one and four but the point is is they don't have to play this game and so you know we don't have to take the Chargers this week in Survivor against the Jets which you know sort of like first thing you need to do in Survivor this year is go, who are the New York teams playing? Well, we just talked about the Giants playing Washington and being favored. So there's no Survivor play there. So now everybody turns their collective eyes to the Jets here, and it's Miami. Now, the scary thing, of course, is that Miami looked quite good against San Francisco, and I would say they looked pretty good against the Seahawks the week before that, even if you know a couple of plays didn't go their way and the number got away from them. In this case, we're now looking at minus eight for a Miami team. And that's just strictly Miami looking functional and the Jets being the Jets. Because at this point, like, you know, what's the number you can make the Jets? Like, there's no number that's going to sort of scare people off, you know, in the single digits. Like, I still would lean the Dolphins here at minus eight. Because again, like, are the Jets going to get pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick? Probably not. Is he going to be able to tear them up? probably are they going to be able to score well is Joe Flacco involved because the answer is probably no if Sam Darnold's involved then again you're never really sure are we going to get that Sam Darnold performance that you occasionally get and that can be the scary element in all of this are Miami flying too high after one really good win I'd like to think that that coaching staff is good enough to kind of rein in those guys so that they don't necessarily think that they're all of a sudden amazing you wouldn't really think that they would based off of a couple of wins but you never really know green bay and tampa bay this number at green bay minus one and a half and this is funny because it's like tampa bay there was no way tampa bay was going to lose to the bears on the road a cup you know last week and now because of the way everybody feels about green bay and listen don't get me wrong they are a really really good football team it's like now there's no way that Tampa Bay can win. And I always sort of look for these spots in the schedule where we go from no way they can do this to no way they can do the opposite of the very next week. Because even if they didn't win 
from a buck standpoint. There was at least reason for a lot of people to believe that they were good enough to be favored on the road against the Bears. Not that the Bears are necessarily all that great. I'm just saying, like, to feel that good about the Bucks, and sure, they were dis- you know, you were disappointed in them. Like, there was still some reason for all of that. So we'll sort of watch this and see where this number goes. At one and a half, obviously, that's kind of a no-man's land thing where the books are sort of coaxing you in to bet the Packers going, you know, it's one and a half. That's basically just to win. And, you know, you're so a lot of people are like pouring in on the Packers here where it's like it leaves that window open for the game to land exactly on one where all of the people who think that there's value on the Bucks are probably just going to take the money line, right? So like you're not, you know, you're not going to go, go okay, plus one and a half or I can take the money line at a price of plus 110 Ooh, I kind of like that instead. And then all of a sudden, like Aaron Rodgers leads them down for like a game winning field goal to win like 20 to 19 or let's be honest, probably more likely like 29, 28 or 31, 30 or something along those lines, Um, you know, kind of given the way the Packers offense is. But these teams are both play pretty good defense and the under might be a decent look here. And I know I sort of say that. And then, of course, some way, somehow uh, the under never gets there. Um, but at 54, right, we sort of see that as a relatively high number, not as much as it used to be, admittedly, um, but still. So I'm going to kind of hope that we can get three here with the Bucks, and uh, that would be a play for me at that point, right? And this is very much a wait-and-see um, type of a situation here. Like, how much do we really believe in this Packers team? Um, and is this Buccaneers team, are they coming back healthier? Right, obviously, sort of had a you know half of a week of a bye to kind of lick their wounds. Do we get a healthier Evans, Godwin, you know, all of those guys that you know they need to give Brady these outlets? Because we know Brady's just not going to be able to do it on his own anymore. And is this the best defense that the Packers have played? Right, and you go sort of up and down their schedule. Off the top of my head, we've got Vikings in there, we've got Falcons in there, we've got Lions in there. Like, it's all very grim from a defensive standpoint. Now, Vita Vea going out for the Bucks, that's a killer for them from a defensive standpoint. Um, so, again, we'll sort of, you know, have to see, and maybe that hurts their cause a little bit. But, again, if we can get three points here at some point as money sort of flows in throughout the week with Green Bay, uh, I'd be happily jumping on the Bucks, And, you know, we'll sort of evaluate that as it comes. Rams and 49ers, the Sunday night football game, and this is a wild move the Rams minus three and a half as recently as like what two weeks ago we would have said that this was probably 49ers minus three or even minus three and a half and so this is one of those games where you know it's a referendum type thing like what and I'm not saying there's a right side to this just the reality is that this is a deal on the 49ers now is it a deal because they're a lemon right like are you pulling up to the dealership and you see a price on a you know truck that's you know it's 10 grand is it 10 grand because it's just a deal and they have some sort of reason that they need to sell it or is there like something significantly wrong with it now off of the loss to the dolphins you go it might be something significantly wrong with the 49ers because which quarterback did they sort of tag here that's going to make you feel good about taking the 49ers, right? Like in theory, it's Jimmy Garoppolo, but you know, is it because he's had a week to sort of get this ankle healthy and he's going to look a lot better? Like you're going to trust that? Like, I, you know, that's such an uncertainty, you know, beyond anything else. 
Or is it going to be C.J. Beathard, where you go, you know what? Like, he was actually decent against the at the end of the Eagles game. Uh, he wasn't the one who put them way behind against the Dolphins. You know, there's a couple of decent drives there that he led at the end of, you know, in the second half of that game. But obviously not a guy that you're, like, loving necessarily going forward. And then it's like, how, what, you know, what do you believe with the Rams, right? And we've sort of talked ourselves in and out of the Rams throughout this entire season. Obviously covering against a Washington team who's, you know, starting, a, not starting, but ended up having to play a guy who hadn't played in two years at quarterback. Now, is that sort of any and all that different from C.J. Beathard? Like, who's better right now, C.J. Beathard or Alex Smith? I don't even really know the answer to that, right? But that's kind of the question because it's like, okay, we know San Francisco's okay at sort of the other elements of the game. It's just really like how dicey could this, you know, possibly be getting in San Francisco? So on the surface, you go, yeah, three and a half points feels like a steal, but like this very well could be a situation where the Rams at this point are the, you know, sneaky team in the NFC West, who will probably make the playoffs here if they don't even, you know, maybe even win the division, who knows, versus a San Francisco team that could be headed, and we've kind of been warning ourselves about this for since literally before the season started, you'll recall, this might be the team that ends up 6-10, and 10, and it's just a lost year across the board. Like, what, what, what else do you need to see to indicate a quote-unquote lost year? Like, they have two wins, but it's literally against the two New York teams who haven't won a game all season. And so if that ends up being the case and they win three more games the rest of the year, are you going to be that surprised? Like there's certainly enough excuses at this point for that to end up being the case. And in a division where A, they've already lost at home by more than this spread indicates to the Cardinals, it's like it's very much possible that the 49ers are just not very good this season for all of the obvious reasons, you know, almost entirely injury related, you know, that we, you know, have talked about over the last few weeks. Uh, Monday, got two games. We got sort of a Monday late afternoon evening game, Kansas City and Buffalo. Of course, there's no line for that because Buffalo goes tonight against Tennessee. So not much in the way to talk about. The look ahead line is about three and a half Kansas City on the road. Does that thing kind of drop down? Um, Obviously, you know, tonight's sort of result and perception based off of that result will kind of affect that. But just know that this number was three and a half last week before Kansas City got drubbed up pretty good by the Raiders. Does that really bode well for them against, again, a Bills offense that, we, again, we have to start understanding is the key to their team going forward. So we'll see where that goes later on in the week. Hopefully we get a number at some point uh, in the next 24 hours. Arizona and Dallas sort of mirroring the Rams and 49ers here where you go this line has moved from what was probably going to be three or four, or would have been three or four, maybe even four and a half a couple of weeks ago, and now it's obviously dove and crossed, hopped the fence, as they say, over to Arizona, favored by two and a half. And I talked yesterday about how grabbing two and a half seems like the right, right way to start here, because I think the market is obviously going to fade the Cowboys after their performance last week. That being said, I'm waiting to see if this can get to three, and I'll actually be grabbing the Cowboys over the top at that point to essentially create a synthetic plus three and a half. Now, this might be foolish because it's you know harkens back to my days of talking myself into Andy Dalton on a regular basis, and hopefully that's not necessarily the case. 
um, from a foolish standpoint anyway, um, but just being able to move the ball with Andy Dalton, right? Like, and, and uh, an overvaluation of a Cardinals team. And one of the things in, you know, when there's blowouts in the NFL and you kind of get caught up in the NFL Sunday type of mode and you're just watching competitive games and you have three or four games on it at once, but listen, the Jets and the Cards are getting bumped way off of that screen, you know, throughout the day. You don't see... The Chandler Jones injury. I didn't even know the Chandler Jones injury happened until after the podcast yesterday. And that's a massive deal, right? Because if the handicap is that the Cardinals are going to be able to get pressure against the Dallas offensive line and the guy whose job it is to get pressure, you know, he's not in there. That's a massive change. And we're getting sort of value here where it's sort of like that's almost being ignored because of the DAC injury. And if and if Andy Dalton can, can play at sort of a 90%, 80% DAC level, and maybe sort of part of that percent is he just doesn't turn the ball over the way that DAC, you know, had been doing so you know, relatively frequently, you know, like that might be the difference here in a win or a, and a loss or sort of, you know, a three-point game versus a seven-point game or something along those lines. So I think Dallas very much live, especially as we always talk about that first game after your star player goes down, whether it's basketball, hockey at times, uh, and certainly football as well. Everybody else is locked in, right? So they got an extra day of rest to uh, a veteran quarterback, right? There was a reason they brought in Dalton, who could be starting on a handful of other teams, maybe not necessarily playoff teams, but a handful of other teams. And yes, the defense is really bad. I completely get that. But the Cardinals offense isn't exactly motoring along. Don't be fooled by the, you know, 30 points that they scored against the Jets. That thing was sputtering uh, a fair amount. And there were, of course, turnovers there as well. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into baseball. Got some complaints, got some grievances uh, from yesterday's action. Um, So we're going to take a quick break and then it's that. And then it's Tuesdays with Ted as well. All right, more bets to discuss here in a second, but a quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. If you're like me and you rely at all on social media to get the word out about your product or service, you should check out www.hundopproductions.com. They hooked me up with some fun tease videos from my podcast with Chad Millman over the summer. You can check those out on my Twitter page, at Authentic. If you are looking for help growing your brand in a fun, engaging way, check them out on Instagram at Hundo P Prod. Don't just post, inspire. All right, a little don't look back in anger here, baseball edition. How fun was yesterday? Not at all. Uh, we bet Houston plus 120 closes at even money, so 20 cents of closing line value. So you say to yourself, what are three tenants? First tenant, did we get closing line value? Yes, we did, right? And in a sort of one-day market, like that's kind of a lot, right? Where it opens at plus 120 and in just a, you know, a few hours moves to even money by the time of first pitch, especially a early afternoon, you know, 4 p.m. Uh, first pitch. Then the game goes down and you go, okay, well, you know, part two is would you trade, you know, any, you know, your situation late in the game for the opposite? Well, I wouldn't. And it's because of reason number three or sort of, you know, tenant number three from a box score standpoint, you know, how did we do? And it's really pretty simple in this case. For one, we bet on Lance McCullers to have a really good start, right? Because you need a really good start against Tampa Bay in order to beat that team because of how deep they are 
from a bullpen standpoint, right? You want to have as few bullpen appearances as possible, knowing that they're going to have, you know, an arsenal of arms coming out of that pen. Well, what happens? Well, we get a really good start from Lance McCullers to the point where, and listen, I'm no fan of sort of, you know, generic play-by-play guy and whatever, right? Like I'm not, I rarely go, hey, well, the play-by-play guy and the, and the analyst said this, so this must be true. More often than not, it's actually the opposite. But it did sort of speak volumes that at one point the announcers were like, Lance McCullers has been quite a bit better than uh, Charlie Morton here, and yet he's down 3 nothing, And it's like, yeah, this is the worst. And of course, just because the way things are going, betting baseball right now, is we get Jose Altuve fielding a ground ball in short right field, and he can't get the ball to first base. And I say he can't get the ball to first base, and I say it with a little more conviction, because he did it twice. Two different occasions he one-hopped, the first baseman from his throw at, you know, second base, sort of short, you know, short right field, um, based on obviously the shift that they were doing. And it's like, even Dusty Baker after the game is like, well, hopefully he's not getting the yips. It's like, what? Don't put that out there, man. But point is, he short hops the first baseman. And of course, you know, with two outs, the inning should be over and it's not. And then two batters later, it's a three run home run in the first inning and an inning that should be over and 0-0. And by the way, Lance McCullers then goes and throws, what, seven innings basically of essentially shutout ball i mean he gives up one earned run on a home run later so i guess one you know one run ball 11 k's over the course of those seven innings and it's just outstanding and it's like yeah that's what i bet on right there i bet on lance mccullers to be awesome then on the flip side from an offensive standpoint the astros are ripping line drives hard hit balls all over the yard on the rays And their defense, which again, you can sort of factor in like, yes, the Rays play good defense and that's why you might like them in a series in the game. I completely understand that. But like over and over and over, diving catch on line drive, like diving play um, on a hard hit ground ball that's, you know, should be a single, uh, ridiculous stretch from the first baseman. Like I pointed out to, you know, my partner, Emily, and I was like, watch this play that, you know, uh, Joy makes that it's like the absolute polar opposite of the play that Guriel tried to make, I suppose, on the Altuve throw. Like, as bad as the Altuve throw was, it's like the first base effort there was a disaster. And so G-Man Choi's out there making, like, acrobatic pirouette splits-type moves to catch balls, and then Guriel, like, can barely be bothered to, like, bend over. And you go, oh, okay, like... That, I guess, should have been the handicap, but like the best thing I can do is go, one pitcher is going to be really good from a McCullough standpoint, and one pitcher is going to give up hard hit balls throughout this game. Listen, it's not like I'm anti-Charlie Morton. I was on him last week against Tanaka and the Yankees, right? So obviously I think enough of him, but like having watched that first game and the Astros do the same thing where they were hitting line drives all over the yard and not getting anything out of it. And now through 18 innings, I think the number is 29 base runners so far. And they have like, you know, three runs to show of it. And one of them was a home run. Like 
it's kind of insane and like, listen, so maybe I've lost to karma, right? Because you're sitting there going like, well, you know what? The Astros deserve it. And so complaining about the Astros losing is like the most like fall on deaf ears you could possibly have because of course everybody's going to be like, yeah, too bad, so sad, blah, 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 blah. But I'm just saying like if you'd put you know, black and white jerseys on these teams and they weren't associated with anything historically, you know, cheating or any of these other things. You go, man, one team's hitting a lot of ropes here. The other, and that, and their pitcher is striking out guys at an alarming rate. And, you know, to literally, you know, have 11 strikeouts out of 21 outs, you go, how is this team losing? And it's like, well, the three run home run, timely hitting, I guess, in a situation where that hitter should have never got anywhere near the plate. And of course, this is feeling you know, as I'm watching this, a lot like last week where you had the same thing happen, Marcus Simeon booting a ball uh, on the you know right side of the infield and that leading to the Astros taking advantage for a four-run, you know, all unearned inning there. And you're like, so I was against, you know, when I was against the Astros, they were getting the benefit of this, uh, you know, these errors. And now that I'm on the Astros, they're making the errors. And you go like, you couldn't have done this last week when like your defense was good and anyway completely frustrating uh, across the board there um you know especially when you got such good value on an underdog at plus 120 that was essentially a pick by the time the game started so you know good bet bad result right like we got everything we wanted to and more from sort of the metric stuff right like a lot of k's for mccullers a lot of hard hit balls from the astros and you just kind of like hope for the best unfortunately getting down three nothing and never kind of being able to recoup that even though they then threatened of course in the ninth inning and sort of almost tied the game but of course instead of a clutch hit from Bregman that I feel like you'll always see if you're betting against the Astros he goes and he flies out on a yet another hard hit ball uh flies out to almost the track in uh, in center field um as for today's game again like you know what do you, you know what am I supposed to say here right like are the Astros going to get the same base runners again against Yarborough probably right do I love you know or, Urquidy as much as you know the previous two pitchers for the Astros no and of course the number is no longer plus 120 it's now at about even money so it's probably a stay away from that standpoint because again we might be betting against karma here in betting on the Astros as for the late game last night what do you want to do, right? You're 1-1 you're in the ninth inning. It's anybody's game. It's a coin flip. You know, the unfortunate part is, you know, we were on the favorite here, so you're not getting the sort of underdog money on the coin flip. And another quality start for Freed, and you go, man, like this guy's really pitching his tail off out here. And, you know, they're going to need that, right? They're going to need that from him. They're going to need that from Anderson again today. And... You know, you get into the ninth inning and now it's just bullpens and the Dodgers bullpen right now is just flat out reeling and this might sway the series entirely. And I was on the fence about coming over the top and grabbing the Braves knowing that I had the Dodgers futures um, at a decent price from earlier in this playoffs. And it's just like, well, I like Walker Buehler and like I'm still not totally sold to Max Fried. And again, obviously that's regrettable, but Walker Buehler just starts walking guys yesterday and so you know that didn't cost him a run because the run came in the first inning second batter where you know Freddie Freeman hits a home run and it's like okay well he's gonna do that it's a solo shot like that's hardly going to be the only run in this game and the problem is right Walker Buehler only goes five innings because he walks so many guys and so you're only getting the quote-unquote advantage of playing Walker Buehler 
for a brief, you know, a brief period of time. And then you get into the bullpen. And then by the time you get into the bullpen, you know, four innings in here, it's, you know, things get blown open in the ninth as, you know, that falls apart for the Dodgers bullpen, which again is a thing that we might have to worry about here going forward uh, if you're on the Dodgers in any way. That being said, right, Clayton Kershaw goes to the mound tonight and you go, okay, Kershaw, what's the situation here? Is he going to be as good as he was in his last start? Um, You know, again, the Brewers thing, it was one thing, right? It's a different story when the Padres come in and that's going to be a completely different story against this Braves lineup right now who's looking like red hot. And so... I'm going to stay away from this game as well, in part because the the ball just doesn't seem to be bouncing very well for me in baseball right now. So why to kind of keep pressing it? And I would like to see the Dodgers win because of the series price. And then I can sort of evaluate things when this series is 1-1 and the Dodgers are the favorite to win the game. That being said, this does feel like a game where the you know Kershaw could go six innings and maybe he leaves two guys on base when he gets pulled and then the bullpen comes in and they blow it and it's that same story that you know has been written over the years and so for me I'm gonna stay away I do kind of think at plus 150 Anderson is some pretty decent value especially the way he's been pitching so far this postseason again I don't necessarily expect it to be that good I just think that at plus 150, the value here is still on the Braves until, you know, until I see something from the Dodgers that I'm going to be all that excited about. Like, they should have cleaned up the Padres in-game in a lot better than they did last week. Like, sure, they won it, uh, you know, going away 3 nothing, but every one of those games was a struggle against a team that, from a pitching standpoint, was just completely bereft. So... Braves is the lean at plus 150 if you had to bet it if you sort of just dropped in off of you know you know from out of outer space uh that would be the play for me there um and that's the story with uh with baseball kind of you know kind of a nothing day from that standpoint because of kind of how things went yesterday a little bit admittedly gun shy if you will so um Next up, let's get uh, let's get let's get a little lighter here. We're gonna get uh, our boy Ted Ballantyne in to talk a little um, football, a little basketball. We're gonna kind of rehash the NBA Finals a little bit. Um, and here's uh, here's my conversation with Ted. All right, let's bring him in. It's our boy. We missed you last week, buddy. Tuesdays with Ted. Ted Ballantyne, how are you? I am back, and I woke up this morning. And there was, I didn't know what the, like, it's always interesting on a Monday morning, like what the big news is coming out of the weekend. And I figured, oh, well, you know, we have the, the, the newly crowned NBA champions. We have Dak Prescott with a, with his foot on backwards. And we got Mike Zimmer who needs to get fired for being a bozo. (laughs) Unbelievable. Okay. Because yeah, I want to talk about this because I sort of touched on it a little bit in yesterday's podcast. And then. You know, part of it is I do the podcast in the morning and on Monday mornings, it's kind of difficult because like I want to get it done and out as sort of fast as I can so I can sort of consume everybody else's content. And I don't want to consume everybody else's content before I do my own because I don't want to sort of accidentally bite anybody's takes or anything like that. Right. Like I want to get a little polluted when you start listening. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I want to keep it fresh. I want to just make sure. So I didn't realize how insane people were going when it comes to this final play or final essentially sequence in the Seattle 
Minnesota game. And so, you know, we don't have to break the whole thing down necessarily, but we got ourselves a fourth and inches situation. There's, you know, a five point game. Do you kick the field goal to go up eight? And, you know, or do you just go for it? Right. And so obviously the analytics crowd and of which like I am somewhat of a believer in sort of depending on the sport, depending on the situation. Right. I don't think there's anything that's just, you know, particularly black and white about that type of thing. And so, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are and that's fine. But the people making the argument for kicking the field goal were attributing that argument to their fear of Russell Wilson. The problem is like the whole point is to keep it away from Russell Wilson. So the option, the only option that doesn't allow Russell Wilson to have the ball is going for it. So the people who are making the case for the field goal aren't even making the correct case. Like they're not using the right argument for it. And that's driving me crazy. How do you feel about this? Yeah. Like if, if anyone should feel like they're the aggrieved party in this whole thing, it should be the Vikings defense because like by going for it there, which honestly, like it's it, like, it's fun to say that he's a bozo and needs to get fired, but I think it was yeah. the right move. Like it just, it's it, like the defense had to be sitting there and just being like, God, he's, he has got no faith in us whatsoever. <laughs> if he's, if he's going to try to go for this to just to, to keep us from having to get on the field. And you can say that's because of Russell Wilson, which obviously that's a big part of it, but like it, he knew, that if we like, even if we get this field goal yeah. and we kick it, this team's right. Coming back and to that's score. the thing. And these people are like, well, you know what? You don't let Russell Wilson, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, that's the point of going for it. You don't want Russell Wilson to have the ball. Like, as if it made any difference whether he'd have, say, 75 yards being down eight or what was it, 85 yards being down six, like he's or down five, like he's going to get that touchdown <laughs> most of the time the point well, and when you take it all the way out like when you take the math all the way out it's basically you're sitting there and you got to make the decision what do i have more faith in do i have more faith that my offense can get me six inches or do i have more faith that a couple minutes down the road we can stop this team from a two-point yeah. conversion and you're and talking about if your team can't get you the inches, no, then what the heck? Of course, you and do? you're talking about like the Vikings defense as insulted, but in the way, in a way, like it's the Seahawks defense that should be insulted because, like you said, you know, you can play the math out. Fundamentally, even looking back at that, you had three plays, right? Like you had the fourth and inches, you had a fourth and ten for the you know, the Seahawks needing to convert. And then you had the fourth down that they actually scored the touchdown on, right? If any of those three yeah. plays goes the Vikings way, they win the game. Like they just happen to go over three in all of those. And right. And like, and all of those were at the very least, the Vikings had to have been sort of 75% favorites, like 75% of the time they're going to get, a half yard on that Seahawks defense, 75% of the time yeah, at they're least. going to stop them on fourth and 10 and 75% of the time they're going to sort of stop that play, you know, on fourth down. And so like the, that probability yeah, and adds up. And if you get it, like th this isn't a situation where I would still want them to go for it. If you're going it from say, you know, the opposing 25 in the third quarter or something like that, this, this is a spot where if they get it, that game's done and dusted and, <laughs> They just like the whole the whole thing kind of got blown up and it was an 
awkward, weird fourth and inches kind of play. Um, and hey, I bet you they do. The well, the unfortunate part is like the backup running back was in charge of it. And just because he sort of dresses like Dalvin Cook, where you're literally watching every run play, if you have like, <laughs> Dalvin Cook in fantasy, and you're like, oh, this is the running back with the dreads just like, you know, he just ripped off a 25 yarder. And then they're like, Alexander Madison spells Dalvin Cook and has a big run. And you're like, oh, like, it's, I can't think of another scenario <laughs> where they like literally grab the run, the two running backs or even any other position. And we're like, okay, we are really just going to you know, you guys are gonna look identical, basically. Like, do you think there was at any point yeah. they were like, "Hey, uh, Madison, if you could, uh, yeah, if you could grow your hair out pretty much identically to Delvin Cook, that's gonna help your chances of staying on this team going forward." Um, but the point is, is like, yeah, just because he looks like him doesn't mean he's going to have the same power and the same vision, right? And so, of course, Delvin Cook probably either knocks people over to get that first down or notices the 10 yards to his right that would have probably turned into a Dalvin Cook touchdown let alone uh let alone a first down were we going to talk about those fantastic uniforms that Seahawks were wearing yesterday and I don't know why they don't wear them all of the time I don't know what they think about that team because Russell Wilson is such a god I don't want to say something bad because he's one of the most exciting guys to watch but he's there's something about him that's just off-putting and it makes me feel awful when I sit there and watch him like I have him in fantasy he's my fantasy quarterback that makes a difference but I just can't help rooting it's the interviews which is atrocious oh you think it is you can't stop because you know as like as much as he's doing you're going to be like god we have to listen to him talk after the game and it's just it's just going to be the worst (laughs) I saw somebody call those uniforms the uh, mixed matched cap on a highlighter uniform, uh, which I which I oh kind okay of like. I don't yeah I, I don't hate of, that yeah, it's like so isn't that exactly what a uniform uh, this, this <laughs> yeah, is what we're going for exactly yeah what it's uh, what it's supposed to look like um, so you, you know you were probably sort of second screening this game because a little thing called the NBA Finals went down um, literally finally mercilessly concluding. Because let's be honest, like, I think we're all set with that with that NBA Finals. So I was sort of demanding yesterday in the podcast, somebody needs to explain to me, as someone who kept betting the Lakers over and over again. No, me, me um, <laughs> as well, apparently. I mean, we were on the same page. Like, we should, by the way, give ourselves a nice pat on the back for just circling that LeBron MVP bet versus you know listen we would have won a series bet by the you know for the lakers too so it's not like you know we would have lost on that or whatever but like we certainly had less juice to pay for a lebron mvp bet which we landed on um before the series started but as somebody who bet the lakers every single game like why i was asking about like can someone smarter than me and hopefully you're that person can somebody explain to me why last night was finally the game where they just completely ran a train on the heat because like I was waiting for that for like the last three games before that. What was it? The first game was like nine. Uh, it was what? Nine and a half. No, the first game and was then four it just kind of and a, like game one in the series was four and a half. Yeah. 
Okay. And then it went up yes. to nine after that or so. And then it slowly crept down to, I got in last night at right. six. But the previous two had been seven. And, and then there was like the Harrow shot in game four. I mean, they lost the third game three outright. And then, you know, again, the pretty close game in, uh, in what was it? Game five. Oh my God. Can we talk about that Tyler Harrow we, shot at the end? What, you can. Like, I'm done. What? Oh, I, it's, uh, it's, I don't know how much you've gotten into it, but yeah, I was thinking of texting you right then. I'm like, you know what? He could very well be in a great mood or a bad mood. So I'm just going to let no, this one slide you know, right now. About it's it. one of those like, ones we going where... to be on the Lakers in various forms throughout the series. So yeah, you knew that I was on him probably. It's probably the best. Yeah. And it was, but it, like I justified it all being that they probably shouldn't have got it up to nine yes. to begin with. But anyway, that was like yeah. four games ago. But no, this like it was it was a weird series in that way. And I don't know if you put it down to a bubble thing. I'm not going to have an explanation that's good for you. But we've seen so many NBA series over the past years, especially since the the threes became a thing, um, like the the dominant thing where you know it's a blow it one way, blow it the other way, blow it one way, yeah. blow it the other way. And this series was there was a couple blowouts in there. Um, and then all the other games were kind of, they were a little awkward, super hard fought. I found now I, I was watching it through the lens of someone betting the Lakers. So I just found so much of what the heat, especially in game five, so much of what the heat was getting was just this bullshit that was (laughs) infuriating. Just these just absolute, just trash garbage threes going in all over the place. And the, the Lakers just couldn't separate at all. And this is one where, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe the keys jump out to the big lead early, which which sounds pretty Well, simple. there was a, but uh, by and, and large, you know, like although... the Lakers were getting out to leads in these games. I mean, some of them were a little like closer than others necessarily, but the Heat were the sort of fourth quarter team in every game. So it was just like, I guess, you know, it's, it's sort of as simple as the extra guys were making shots last you know sunday night and and then like that's just the difference between that and the other game it's just i don't really understand why it wasn't friday for an, for example right well no but i i think there's I, I guess that's it and it probably is almost always that simple right there's so many box scores where you want to figure out what the heck happened and you just kind of look at the box score and you see you know one team went you know 14 for 21 from three and the other team went nine for 22 and about a baby right. there's who won the game but like just yesterday was one of the games same with game one where the lakers just looked bigger and more athletic and then in the other games they just didn't didn't at all look like that so it was probably a scheme thing that i can't necessarily figure out but no it definitely was frustrating betting those games that i ended up losing because you're watching and they're like there's no reason (laughs) this is happening and that's the thing because i didn't even bet the game last night because after you know friday you've got anthony davis like hobbling around and i'm like you know what this Lakers team might be in trouble if he's hobbling around and the rest of these guys aren't really doing all that much. And it's just going to be on LeBron's shoulders to win one of these next two games. And then of course, literally two days later, it's over by the end of the first quarter, which is like almost, you know, impossible when it comes to an NBA game. Um, So we do cash with the LeBron MVP bet. We, uh, I don't know if you even remember this from two weeks ago, but I asked you who was going to be the sort of Tyler Harrow, you know, magical day who, and you know, the person who scores the most points in a game. And then I said, um, why yeah. isn't it KCP? Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope. And then in that first game, he goes and he actually had the most points for like almost a half of the game. <laughs> like, yeah. 
He was yeah. corner three city. He was nailing all these shots. And I was like, I was kidding about the Contavious Caldwell Pope thing. But like now that I think about it, I really should have thrown like five bucks on it because I'm pretty sure he was like 125 <laughs> to one. I you know. And, well that's why. and like obviously he basically never scored again in that game. Um, but it, I just thought I'd bring that up because uh, I thought that was pretty funny that in that first half he was lighting it up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's going to do it. Um so I'm going to paint you a little picture here. Now, as a general rule here, I tell people do not, first of all, don't bet on championship futures. If you have to bet on a future, you've got to do it for conference championships because you're going to end up wanting to hedge yeah. going into that championship series or the Super Bowl or whatever. Secondarily, don't bet on it right after the previous championship happens. So stay away from the NBA futures market right now. We don't even know when this season is going to start, let alone finish where it's going to be played, how it's going to be played, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, I was going to say, yeah, you may, you may have another 12 months until you can bet. Exactly right. That being said, is there going to be a sort of 1230 at night? Maybe you've been at some sort of event or general hangout set uh, session. You've had a few drinks in you. You pull up the computer or the phone or the app and you place a bet on the Dallas Mavericks to win the NBA championship. Is that a possibility in, uh, in your future with you and your boy Luca? Which, uh, what hypothetical or real number are you giving me? uh, As far as the odds are concerned, I think they're about 20 to one to win the title. You know what? It's entirely possible. If anything, just to inspire me and encourage me to watch more delightful Mavs games over the course of yeah, the season. Yeah, I mean, a lot of your betting, especially, well, I was going to say especially from a future standpoint, but really from a game-to-game standpoint as as well, game-to-game basis, is based sure. almost entirely about whether you're watching the game or not. And that's that's why we oh, bring you yeah. in, because, you know, you are very similar to a lot of other people. I would say the vast majority of people. Um, by the way, how did the NFL go for you this past weekend? NFL didn't go great. I went back to my system from last year of just betting against the public the entire time. It wasn't bad. Like you've always told me, right? Because you you know me. I, I'm capable of banging out like a solid like one <laughs> in ten week. And you always tell me, hey, listen, just like if if you ever wanted to not do that, just bet against the public. And like you're not necessarily going to do well every week. Or even necessarily break even, although typically, yeah, but like you're never going to go like one in 10. So I think yesterday I was like three and nine. No, sorry, three okay. and six, um, which isn't terrible. It was okay. <laughs> and there's some like the only one I were. I love that you're like, three listen, and six, considering not terrible. I'm like three and six last week and I was hey, like, ready listen. To hang myself off the roof. <laughs> well because i think hey listen i would if i go three and six i just look at it i'm like oh my god i could have so easily been two and seven but the one that i that i clicked on and i knew from the beginning because um the niners were an eight point favorite at least when i got in on um, saturday night it was mm-hmm. they were an eight point favorite i'm like why are the niners an eight point favorite like i'm pretty sure we know they're not <laughs> good and of course like the dolphins aren't aren't any kind of gem on the other side but i'm like i don't know if the dolphins need to be an eight point dog against a you know no trash team and yeah as soon as that game started i'm like yeah no that's one where i should have followed my instincts or just so wait a sec you never bet it or you bet on the 49ers 
Oh, I bet it. And I you bet You said you didn't know yeah. why they yeah, were Yeah, it's not going my way. You had it. But I was just, I had a system. Uh, I had a system, baby. And I was sticking with it. Uh, yeah, I had a program that I was going to stick uh, to my program of, of betting against the public. And uh, you know what? That was one where everyone was on the right page. <laughs> right. Everybody had clued in to the fact that the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> aren't very good. Uh, people who are very good, Ted Ballantyne. Pleasure as always, sir. Thank you, Rusty. You Talk to you next week. Always fun to get Ted's take. As for me, I'm at MRussAuthentic on Twitter. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next time, I'll see you at the window. <laughs>